Hello, everyone, and welcome to How to Chess, a weekly chess improvement podcast. We try to give you some quick hitting advice that maybe can help your chess game or your chess knowledge in this case, as we will discuss. So we are joined by Dr. Christopher Chabri. He's a renowned cognitive scientist, the co-author with Daniel Simons of the best-selling book, The Invisible Gorilla. Um, people who listen to the Perpetual Chess podcast will know Christopher as he's a friend of the podcast, been on episodes 95 and 187 for long-form interviews. He's also helped me out with some book recaps. So always happy that he somehow finds the time to contribute to the chess culture, which is the theme of this week's discussion. But first, a bit more about Chris. He's a USCF master, still an active player, a chess dad, a voracious reader and chess reader, as if anyone can see his bookshelf behind him uh, could uh, verify. Um, and a former chess book and magazine publisher. So despite a busy and successful career, manages to stay quite active in chess. And in a minute, we will discuss why he thinks that's important. But first, let's welcome him to the show. Chris, how are you? I'm great. It's good to be here to, to talk about this subject and, and for a shorter conversation, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And um, I think it's important because we have so many new chess fans these days. Um, you know, which is a fantastic thing. It's, you know, obviously you and I, we've been uh, playing for decades at this point and appreciating the game for decades, but it does have this timeless allure that it's good to see new people discover. And I've mentioned in other interviews, the, the beauty of the game itself, the intricacy of the strategies and the sort of feeling of uh, your neurons firing when you're playing is to me, it is the ultimate draw of chess, but that doesn't mean that we can't appreciate other things. And I might be like, you know, stepping on your lines here, Chris. So I think we should uh, we should start the clock and begin to talk about the the uh, the importance of chess culture. So you think you're ready? I'm I'm all set. Okay. So let's start with the basics, Chris. What is chess culture? So I expected that question, and I did a little <laughs> research. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this topic was that I think the concept of culture is sometimes a little bit misunderstood. So. There's the culture of chess, which is sort of how chess players act, um, you know, the kind of people they are. Um, th this goes along with the definition of culture, which is um, actually got from the dictionary, which is the behaviors and beliefs characteristic of a particular group of people. So like, what are chess players like? What do they do? And, and so on. But then there's another aspect of culture, which is sort of a more technical academic version, which is um, the sum total of ways of living built up by a group of human beings and transmitted from one generation to another. So in chess, that's like what the previous chess generations have learned about chess and discovered about chess and taught about chess that get transmitted to the later generations. And that kind of stuff I think is useful. Um, and that's sort of the, the, the aspect of chess culture that, that I wanted to talk about and think is actually very useful for chess improvement. But a little bit beyond that, like as you were saying, one of the enjoyable things about playing chess is you know, when you go to play a game, you're sitting at a board, you're basically doing the same thing that people were doing 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. In fact, you're often playing the exact same moves in sort of, you know, some mathematical sense, you know, some, you're doing the same stuff you're doing, maybe you're doing a little better, you can improve on what happened in the past. Um, and you can compare what you're doing directly to what happened in the past, which you can't really do in other sports. Like, what can you learn from a soccer game played in 1900, right, that's going to be helpful for playing now. And in, in fact, in, only in chess, really, and other games like it, can you even directly compare like one era to the other with the kind of precision that you can in chess. So there's a lot the past of chess has to teach us in the present. And that's the kind of culture that 
um, that I'm talking about. So it's sort of the knowledge of chess built up over all the generations by all the previous players. And, and you should pay some attention to that, not just what the engine tells you, you know, at the end of your most recent game, because there's so much more in the past that you can learn from than you can from the present. Okay, excellent points already, Chris. One thing I want to throw in is I love to quote uh, Anishkiri, obviously the the recent FIDE candidates, uh, or the one that was completed this year and started, of course, uh, at the dawn of the pandemic. Anishkiri had a, had a memorable quote where he was saying as he came back for the second half, you know, everything feels the same. It's the same couch, the same tables. So this feeling of like, you know, you return from a sort of suspended reality, which I think was particularly acute, obviously, because of the pandemic. And that was only sort of a one year lapse. Obviously, as you allude to, over time, if you go to a place like the Marshall Chess Club or some of the, the famous chess clubs in Russia, you, 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 you feel it even more. But bringing it forward to what you were saying, Chris, um, I think what some people might struggle with is they understand the they they know in theory that what you're saying is true, but time is so precious and they feel like their games have so many holes. I know I feel that way and I've been playing for decades. There are other people newer to chess um, who it's hard for me to imagine, but they might have even bigger holes in their game than me. So what do you say to someone who says, okay, you're right in theory, but I have to make, you know, life is full of difficult choices and I don't have time to, you know, follow the candidates tournament or go to the chess club. I just play my games at the end of a work day. Well, I think if you're doing that, that's great. And if you don't care about whether you're playing better from day to day, then fine, just enjoy chess, you know, and, and have fun. And, you know, that's that's great. Nothing nothing wrong with that. But if you do want to improve, um, there are a lot of reasons to understand more about the history and, and culture of chess. And in particular, like the famous players, the famous games, the best games. And, you know, it's often commented that games of the past were easier to understand than games of the present. So, you know, I would still say you're going to learn more from picking the right older games to look at than you are from sort of following the current games, the world championship or, you know, the champions chess tour or the, you know, the grand chess tour or whatever. Um, and how you divide your time, you know, is, is up to you. Um, the other reason for looking at, at the past and learning more about it is I think it actually increases people's enjoyment and staying power in chess. So I think it's easy to sort of think of chess as like another game. I, I like playing this game. I'll play it for a while. I'll, you know, get better at it and so on. But it will help make it, I think, more of a lifelong passion and a lifelong activity that just sort of contributes to your enjoyment of life the more you learn about the past of chess. Now, maybe I'm a little biased because that's the way sort of I think about things. I like to learn more about um, the background and history of, of things. But uh, I do believe that that works for other people as well. Um, and it sort of helps with your your motivation for what you're working on now if you can connect it to sort of, you know, the great chain of, of what's come before and, and see that, you know, you're doing some of the same things that Bobby Fischer did or, mm -hmm. you know, Capablanca or Morphe. I mean, Morphe is a great place to start, as many people have said, because a lot of what Morphe did to his opponents, you know, 1400 players now can do to their opponents. Right. Um, you know, even if grandmasters can't do it to their, you know, to their grandmaster opponents. Um, uh, I mean, more, more specifically, I think if you study the right games, um, from the past, and I mean complete games, as a lot of other people have said, not just sort of looking at individual positions and whatever, and you you know something about the players and the events where they happen, it will make it easier to actually remember those things during your own games. I can think of many occasions when I was playing just a blitz game, you know, on chess.com or something like that, and I suddenly realized that the 
position I was in was sort of similar to something from a famous game that I recalled. Um, Capablanca Tartakower from New York 1924 comes to mind as one where I, I suddenly realized that I was doing the same kind of thing that Capablanca did in that game. And that actually gave me an idea for how to, you know, go about continuing the game. So specific plans and ideas from famous games you can you can actually remember. And and grandmasters have written about this too, about how they have been in games and sort of suddenly recalled that it was like some other game they had seen. Not their own game, but some historical game. Um, so, you know, that's the 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 most like tangible you know, immediate benefit you might get, like, is you'll see patterns and motifs and ideas that, that you can recall. And the reason why to know about the players and the events and so on is that that actually makes it easier to remember them. It's not just some diagram you saw, because you're going to see thousands of diagrams and positions on your screen and so on, but it's an actual event with actual human beings at a time and place. And you might, that, that sort of helps us form like a web of associations and memory, which makes it easier to remember things and connect them together. Okay. Yeah. And that's why it's excellent to have uh, a cognitive scientist like yourself here uh, to, to, to help us uh, provide, get the perspective that we need. Now, Chris, of course, you've told stories when I interviewed for Perpetual Chess, your old friends with uh, former U.S. champion Grandmaster Patrick Wolf, which enabled you to meet people like Grandmaster Viswanathan Anand. And I believe there was a simul from, uh, from Karpov involved. Like, you just have like crazy stories of deep chess culture, but a lot of people might be not in urban centers. They might not know that many chess players, uh, IRL. So I'm curious, and from what you've said, it sounds like you think it's possible, but can one acquire chess culture like without leaving their house these days? Well, that's how I got most of mine until I was like in college or something like that. So I, I was I was really amazed when my friend Dan Edelman decided we're going to invite Gary Kasparov to come and visit Harvard University. And we hosted a whole event and so on. I'd never thought I would ever meet, you know, a world champion or a former world champion or anyone, you know, anyone like that. Even though I was from New York, I never like, you know, uh, met any of these people. So the way I started out was my father, um, you know, who loves books, loved books as much as, as much as I do, maybe more, started giving me books. And some of the ones that really had good chess culture stuff were books like, um, the Fireside Book of Chess, The Chess Companion. There used to be sort of this genre of books, which is not as popular now, where it was like stories about chess, famous players, cute games, like memorable games where like interesting things happened. Um, and, and But even now you can get interesting books on just like the history of the world championships. Like Joel Benjamin has a book uh, with sort of like, I think it's called World Champion Chess for Juniors, but I'm sure it's great for everybody where he just sort of goes through all the world champions and shows you like, you know, three of their best games. Um, and tells you something about them. Um, there are many excellent books you can get this information from. I, I'm less of like a YouTube kind of person, so I couldn't tell you like whose videos to watch. I know a lot of people put out videos on historical chess players and games and, and so on. I just couldn't you know give any particular recommendations about them. But um, Kasparov's My Great Predecessor series is is also sort of renowned for you know being like the textbook of chess culture in a sense, like at least as seen through you know his point of view, which is his own point of view. But he probably knows more about chess than everybody else listening to this podcast. So <laughs> it could be you could do worse, you know, than to follow his you know line of thinking on and that of his collaborators on 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 what's the important stuff in, in chess culture and why. Excellent. Yeah. Though. Those are some great recommendations just to throw in a couple more that I often mention. Masters of the Chessboard, Learn from the Legends gets recommended a lot in a more recent book. But yeah, and and as you say, like the complete chess attic with just like fun little chess factoids. Um, there, there is tons that you can learn online. And as you say, that's not even speaking of all the great content creators available on YouTube and on Chessable who kind of can 
can teach you some chess history while they teach you some chess. There's um, also a great book called Joys of Chess that I didn't mention. And I second Masters of the Chessboard, although it was written by Reddy like in the 30s, you know, so it's not exactly going to be very up to date. Um, that was one of the first books my father got me. So I still have the hardcover um, of, of that that he gave me a long time ago. And, and Reddy sort of goes through and tries to explain like what each of the famous players, the top players up before him contributed to our understanding of chess and what ideas they came up with. And I think that's just really helpful in and learning the ideas is to associate them with a face, a name, a time, you know, a famous game or something. It just helps you remember it much better. All right, Chris, you've convinced me. I'm going to get some chess culture. It's, <laughs> <laughs> All right. <it's> good. Time. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, I think what we'll do, I know you've got one more point you want to raise, but I was thinking what, what I, we would do is we would uh, wrap up, do three improvement takeaways and then come back and you can uh, uh, dispense a, a bit more advice. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Okay. And we are back for our three takeaways before Chris rejoins us for a few bonus points. So the number one takeaway is just sort of knowing what chess culture is, which is knowledge of what's come before you. And as Chris alluded to, part of the beauty of chess is this centuries of history that you can sometimes feel viscerally, especially if you're playing um, in real life somewhere and touching the pieces. Point number two, obviously, as Chris alluded to, a lot of his chess culture was ultimately received, but through connections he made in the real world. But these days, you can start building up that chess culture without even leaving your house. Um, it's an amazing to live in the chess information age and be able to read so many great books and watch so many videos. And Chris didn't mention this, but obviously, you can even interface with people with, uh, with similar interests um, in whatever aspect of chess it is that that most um, illuminates you or, or interests you. Um, point number three, of course, is that chess culture can actually and does actually help your chess. I love the anecdote about um, remembering a famous historical game and being able to incorporate it into uh, one of Chris's games. And of course, as Chris alluded to, grandmasters, you hear that all the time and you, they'll reference like not just the classics, but even some obscure uh, game. So, and as uh, again, a, a great point that Chris raised about playing through entire games so that you can sort of see the um, the whole fabric woven. And and as Chris mentioned, that helps you with remembering concepts much more so than maybe just memorizing a certain tactic. If you can tell the whole story and weave it together, it helps your memory and the chess culture actually helps your chess. So some excellent points from Chris. Um, as as expected. And now we're going to welcome him back in for a few more points. Chris, what else uh, would you like to add? I, I wanted to add something about chess engines, because I think, um, you know, before 15 years ago, the discussion of chess culture would have just included books, you know, and history and, and so on. But, but nowadays, we have this additional force in the chess world, and especially in the chess improvement world, the computer, um, and especially, you know, the engines that are built into all the websites and software and so on that immediately they will tell you, you know, some kind of evaluation of the position um, and line of best play and so on. And um, I think sometimes there's too much of a uh, opposition between like either we learn based on engines or we learn based on books, right? There's no reason why it has to be one or the other. Um, it can be both. And you can go too far in being sort of a slavish adherent to the past. Like some people will say things like, you know, the best book ever written on chess was X, and it's something from the 1920s or the 1930s, or we should, you know, read the books written by the greatest players ever, even though those books are 70 years old, rather than like, look at what's coming out now. And that's just a, a pure fallacy. There's no other field where knowledge accumulates over time, where it's a good idea to sort of 
you know, only learn what was known in 1920 or 1940 or 1950, right? Like chess and, and chess is a, a field where knowledge does accumulate. That's chess culture, right? It's accumulating knowledge of, of how chess works and how to play it better. So don't be stuck in the past, but at the same time, don't be a slavish devotee of chess engines and understand something about how they work. So like when you turn on that button, right? And you start to see a number, you know, and it says plus 1.7, plus 1.6, you know, and so on. And the bar sort of jumps up and down. Um, a lot of times that is not the correct evaluation of the position. It sometimes can take a long time for an engine to actually settle on a clear evaluation of the position. It's also the case that 0.4 versus 0.5 is irrelevant, you know, 0.4 versus 0.6 and so on. Sometimes people say the best move is this. And really the second best move was like, you know, 0.1 worse or something like that. And that's basically just noise, right? That those things don't matter. There are certain kinds of positions where engine evaluations are just not right at all, like where there's a fortress or something like that, and the engine will just keep shuffling the pieces back and forth with an advantage. It, before trusting the engine as like your oracle for chess improvement or even what's going on in position, I think you should learn more about how they work and, and what their flaws are. And there's some nice videos online about that where people will show like engines fail to see made in six until you give them the first move, right? And it's not like every engine every time, they're always getting better, but the mistake is to treat them sort of like an oracle of chess, you know, which they still aren't, even though they're a lot better um, than they used to. So my my like my last tip about chess culture is, you know, it's not um, it doesn't replace the engine, but on the other hand, engines like have a culture of their own that you need to understand in order to understand how they work and how to use them best in, in improving. I think. Okay. Yeah. Engines don't have chess culture. <laughs> <laughs> now that's one of the beautiful things about them is like their evaluations are not based on comparing the position to Capablanca Tartikauer in 1924, <laughs> but they do have some chess culture in them in a sense, because, you know, when they evaluate positions, they use like weights of things and so on, which are sometimes influenced by human concepts of, of chess, right? That's one of the nice things about Alpha Zero and Leela and so on is that they sort of relearned it from scratch, but still, um, they're not oracles and, um, uh, you know, even sometimes when they say something different from a book, sometimes the book is actually still right. You know, often the engine can be used to correct the book or the grandmaster judgment or whatever, but sometimes the engine is still wrong. Um, and it's it, really useful, I think, to understand like how they can be wrong. That provides some insight into, into, into the game we're dealing with here, where the, it's, it's not a simple game that computers just know everything about. It's actually more complicated than computers can solve. Okay, excellent. Yeah. And it, it is tricky because there's I think there's a human impulse. Like once you once you know that you have this super strong tool at your disposal, it, there there's a desire to treat it as all knowing. Um, but you you raise some some good points, and certainly I've seen some of the examples you've mentioned where an engine just doesn't understand a certain concept, and um, and as you alluded to, the the playability of a position from a human perspective is is always important. And when you watch strong players work with an engine, you often see that come up. You'll often see them uh, somewhat dismissive of an engine in certain positions. And that's something that uh, less experienced, not as strong players actually would would not be as dismissive, even though they would concede they don't know as much about chess as the human. Um, yeah. So. I'm, I'm not saying that like an improving player, like a new player, whatever, should trust their own judgment over the computer. The computer is going to be right almost every single time. Um, but uh, there's more, you know, there's a lot more to understanding how to play chess than just sort of play the moves that the engine tells you to, right? And a lot of that how to play chess you can get from chess history, chess culture, and so on. And en engine will never give you that. All right. Excellent stuff, Chris, as expected. Um, anything uh, else to add before uh, we say goodbye? Uh, oh, boy. Anything else to add? Um, 
I don't know. I just think that the one, these are not my chess books, by the way, for anyone watching on video, the books behind me are the, I have those in a different place. But one of the things that I've always loved about, uh, about chess is the, the richness of the history and how much of it is recorded. Like more than any other game, there is a culture of chess. Like there is more culture in chess than there is in any other game. And that's one of the things that I think can keep you interested and loving chess, even when you don't have the opportunities to play as much, or maybe your own play or your own improvement is not going so much, right? You can, you can look at the past and find something beautiful and, you know, and entertaining and deep. Um, and that can sometimes sort of, you know, bring, bring you back to, to the love of the game. Excellent note to end on. Well, thanks as always. Um, and Chris, um, I think um, you, you have a pretty popular Twitter account. Is there anything else we should, uh, anything else we should link to? Your, your chess site? Uh, yes, shabri.com. It's not a chess site, but if anyone wants to, to know more about me, it's all there. And yeah, follow me on Twitter. Okay, sounds good. Thanks again, Chris. Well, until next time. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Take care.